Hello, welcome to this extracurricular podcast. This podcast covers the opinions and personal experiences of a married couple of over a decade, exploring the ethical, consensual, sexual non-monogamy lifestyle. This is an 18-plus adults-only podcast, as it does contain explicit content and is not meant to be taken as professional or legal advice. Please listen at your own discretion and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is James. Mirage is out with her friends tonight, so today's episode is brought by yours truly. Um, I've been thinking about this one for a very long time, and I really wanted to make an episode after some of our listeners uh, gave us some feedback, specifically asking about the deconstruction that we had mentioned in episode one. We had talked about being former Christians and um, how our new life now is just so much more liberating than things were back when we were heavily involved with the churches that we were involved with. And this isn't to say that deconstruction led to what we do now. Um, this is this is just I believe this is part of our story that it took being involved in a an organized religious setting to then end up where we were, where we are now. That's something I, I, to this day, still, still passionately believe. Um, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be different than what we normally put out. Um, it's not going to be necessarily related to the, uh, sexual things we talk about. And so, if you're looking for more juicy details, then I suggest you listen to the rest of the episodes that we have on here. Uh, it's a little bit more serious. And again, this is just because a lot of our listeners have asked for the details of why we ended up where we are um, and what mental processes we had to go through, what obstacles we had to overcome in order to say that we are no longer involved with the church. Um, disclaimer for everything I'm about to say, I don't mean to offend anyone, especially Christians, non-Christians. I, that I'm not intentionally saying these things with the purpose of malintent. Um, so I apologize in advance if things come off as harsh or uh, indifferent. Um, this is just my story and I just felt like it was time to share that with our, our listener base here. Um, another disclaimer, I apologize if I use a lot of what I, what I call Christianese. Um, there were a lot of common terms that we just become, we, we became accustomed to, um, in the church environments that we were a part of. Um, a lot of common sayings or a lot of um, just things that you, you hear as, as Christians that um, they become like normal phrases, normal jargon that you use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so I might be using that as I talk about this story. Um, 
but just something to keep in mind. And uh, yeah, let's just, let's get started. Um, to begin, I actually wasn't born in the church. I also didn't grow up in a church environment. Um, becoming a Christian was something that I had done shortly after my parents had gotten a divorce. Um, after my, when was it exactly? It was the summer after my freshman year of high school. That's when I decided that I, I really wanted to go all in on this Christian thing. And the way I came about it was through pivotal circumstance. Um, a lot of what I had gone through with my parents' divorce was very, very tough and left me in a critical state, especially being a teenager, um, looking for really solid mentors, specifically fatherly figures. Long story short, uh, my biological father was no longer a part of our, our family life. Um, we were, and by we, I mean, uh, I'm the oldest of, I have two younger brothers. Um, and, um, so we would, we would go to counseling and, um, one of the biggest things that they told us was, uh, we, we recommend that you, you three, uh, cut ties with your father because it seems like he is being emotionally abusive. Um, and that was tough. That was really, really tough, but we, we ended up doing that and it actually turned out to be a very, very healthy thing for us to do. Um, so fast forward a little bit to when I decided to become a Christian. Most of it was because I was, I had this longing of trying to find peace, trying to find peace in this crazy teenage world that I was in. And again, looking for this role model or series of role models that was absent in my personal life. And so that was probably a huge motivator why I found Christianity so appealing. But I remember sort of the moment of, you know, when you become a Christian. Um, and at the time, it was very life-changing. It was very uh, rewarding, and it just felt like a breath of fresh air. Because here I was going through a very difficult thing, a difficult point in my life. And it just to find this happiness that I didn't know existed was really, really needed at the time. And uh, shortly afterwards, I did all the Christian things. I got baptized with my brothers and um, started joining, a, you know, we, we joined a local church. We had started volunteering our time. Um, and so the with, with my musical background, the thing I really drew to was joining the the church worship team as a as a pianist keyboardist synth player um to be honest that was a lot of fun it was it was really cool to be part of a band um and it, it really uh, it made me um i think a better musician because i was forced to learn these new songs that we would you know, play on a Sunday morning for the Sunday morning services. And, uh, it was just fun. 
it was fun to I, I've never I've never been a part of that I, I didn't have like a, a band that I created uh, or joined a band in high school that I didn't do any of the the bands and in, in school I didn't do jazz band I didn't do any of those any of those so it was really really fun to just have this be an avenue that I could use for just my own personal hobby and at the same time use it for quote unquote glorifying God um, through my through my talents again this is the Christianese thing that I was warning you guys about in the beginning um so I did that for a very long time. I mean, I'm going to try to fast forward here and kind of get to more of the foundation. Um, but this was critical for me because it really, by the time I had graduated high school, I uh, went off to college. I joined another church in the area that was close to the college I was going to. And I was, I joined their worship team as a, again, as a pianist, a keyboardist. Um, and then about several months into it, I was asked by the church pastor to, if I would be comfortable leading their worship team. Um, and this was just huge for me because it was just another opportunity to level up and I really enjoyed the challenge. And I enjoyed it so much so because going back to what I said earlier, having those role models in my life, the people that I looked up to the most were the worship leaders that I was working with when I had joined that first band and my fellow musicians. Um, they were dads to their own kids and um, they were just solid, solid, solid people. They were really, really fun to hang out with and learn from, especially being a new Christian and, you know, new, new to the faith, as they say. It was just nice because I, I had this, um, inspiration to better myself. Um, as a, as a growing teenage boy, I, I had really not even I wouldn't say foundational but in some ways it, it was I mean it, it shaped who I am today um, these core people that I relied on for just about anything I mean I, I wouldn't necessarily go to them for day-to-day -day problems but it was just um, having the friendships that I established having those essentially fatherly figures in my life um, made me the man that I am today. Even though I'm in, in an entirely different place altogether, had it not been for those sets of relationships, um, those friendships, I would not be, I would not be the same person. Um, but anyways, I, going back to this new, new church I had joined, I was asked to be their, their worship leader. And that was a lot of fun because then I got to take everything I had learned in the past couple of years and start making these set lists, start making these experiences for the church congregation and the people attending to, again, the whole point was 
you know, let's let's use our musical talents. Let's play. Let's be the best cover band we can be, uh, playing these Christian worship songs, so that we can all sing together and worship our our Lord and Savior. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous saying out loud now. It it really does, and <laughs> I I I don't mean to laugh, but it, it's just knowing what I know now and being on the other side side of things. I almost look back at that and I'm like, I can't believe I used to do that. So it's it's hard to, to go, to jump back into that mindset of, oh, yeah, I used to like passionately believe that this was, this was the thing. <laughs> and um, anyways, um, so I got to join this worship team and had made some great friends on, there. And... Um, Made I became really good friends with the, the lead pastor there and several of the other uh, people in the ministry. Um, and then Mirage came to the picture, and we'll fast forward a little bit. She wasn't a Christian at the time. I was. And I would always do these... <laughs> I, I knew her upbringing, and I knew her um, perspective on religion. Which is why when we had first started dating, I never even brought up that I was a Christian. I, I just kind of played things off as a, oh yeah, I'm enjoying spending all this time with you. However, on Sunday mornings and on Thursday evenings, because that's, that's when I had the uh, band rehearsals with the, the worship team, I'm going to be away. Um, I have this thing. And I never actually said what that thing was. It was just a, I just have this thing that I have to go to. And she didn't question it. You know, she was being a good, a good girlfriend at the time. And I remember uh, she told me one day, she's like, are you a, are you a drug dealer or something? And, and I was like, no, not, not at all. Um, I'm actually uh, in charge of this worship team at, at a church. And that's kind of when I, I told her about my story and she started inviting herself. She's like, can I, can I join you? Can I, can I go with you? And the responsible Christian in me was like, absolutely. This is how I get you into the faith. This is how I, uh, become a, a light for you in your dark life, because you are not a Christian. You don't believe what the same things I do, but this is a great avenue for me to do that. So back in my mind, I was like, absolutely. But then I casually played it off. Like, oh, yeah, sure, if you want to. Um, and she started coming to my rehearsals. She started coming to the Sunday morning uh, services. Became friends with some of the people there. And eventually she also became a Christian. And that was huge for me because... The immediate feedback that I had got when we had started dating was, you two shouldn't be together. She doesn't believe in God, and you do, so she's going to bring you down. Uh, or, uh, it's a passage in the Bible, the, the unequally yoked passage, uh, where uh, because she is a non-believer, and I am a believer, that it's just not a good pairing. And so unless my intent was to uh, date her for the sole purpose of 
making her a Christian, then we shouldn't be together. And that was just bullshit. Like, <laughs> um, there's a term for that. I, I forgot what it's, um, as I'm recording this episode, I'm, I'm forgetting what that term was where you, uh, where you date for the purpose of evangelizing your, your partner. And again, man, looking back, that's just so cringy. It's so, so freaking cringy. Um, but anyways, it was a surprise. It was great. It was, again, this, this start of our new relationship. I remember baptizing her in front of our church friends and in congregation. Um, and this was huge. I mean, this was like, a, you know, if getting married was the best thing for us in our relationship, being monogamous and sort of our goal at the time, uh, getting to baptize my partner, whom I believe is my soulmate, um, was probably the next best thing. And it was really, really cool just to have that opportunity. Um, and then from there, we just wholeheartedly dedicated the majority of our free time to pouring into that church. I remember most of our time there, I mean, we would be there several times a week for church meetings, for rehearsals, for the actual church services, for just hanging out with the, the church pastor and some of the other colleagues we had made, uh, the, the other friends we'd made there. And um, it just became our, it became our job, even more than a job. It was something we really, really enjoyed doing. Um, so... I say this is really detailed and probably a long-winded way of saying, you know, we were we were heavily involved, but this was my identity at the time. This was who I was. I everything I wholeheartedly believed that my purpose in life at the time was to be a good boyfriend and uh, a good partner and a solid rock for. Um, this new relationship that I was establishing. Um, I believed at the time that my gifts were best utilized in the worship ministry, which is why I spent so much time being a part of that team. And so let's fast forward a little bit. We had done that for four years. Uh, and then we moved, we moved cross country because we had both graduated Mirage and I both graduated uh, undergrad and then um, we joined a church there but first we had to get married so that's another thing um, we got married officially so on our five year anniversary we got married we, went, we, we, we flew back to where we were where we went to undergrad or around that area and uh that was really nice because like, okay, let's, let's start, let's start on the way that we're supposed to. And I say that now with a lot of, not resentment, but a little bit of resentment because at this point in time, at least on the listener level, you think everything just sounds great. Like, oh, they must've had it so great being a Christian couple because in the Christian environment, if you're single, you're seen as not unstable, but like 
oh, you're, you're just not there yet. You're, you're not married yet, or you're not committed into some sort of relationship. So we had it made, you know, we were solid Christians. We, we wholeheartedly believed in what we were being taught and the Bible, uh, and we were one step ahead of our single friends because we had a, we had a plan <laughs> and what you don't know and what isn't really publicly known except to our very close friends is Mirage and I started having sex, fuck, like a month into our relationship. And that was like a big no, no. That was like, you, you just don't, if you're a Christian and you are partnered, um, you don't do that unless you are married. So for us to be doing that was like already a, a guilt trip that would last years, that would last basically up until the point that we were married. And it sucked. It sucked so much. And, and that's just one part of it. We weren't allowed to live together because the temptation of sex was there because my partner is attractive and we want to <laughs> take advantage of that. I, I, I don't know. It, again, looking back at it, it just, it feels so cringy as I'm talking about this sort of early part of our relationship. Um, and so these are things that you have to lie about. Like we, we never came out and told our pastor, oh yes, we're having premarital sex. And also we're thinking about living together. Um, and so, so you just have to play this like, oh yeah, I don't have any uh, issues with lust, issues with porn, issues with whatever, because I am a solid Christian man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Um, so yeah, we're, we're kind of lying most of the time to give off this image that we're solid and that we're, we're doing things the right way that we're, that we're right in God's eyes because we're, you know, we're a stable Christian couple and here we are just doing our thing, planning on getting married at some point. Um, yeah, that was really weird. Anyways, um, I say all that because I had noticed we had to start living this double life where on one hand we give off this like really cool Christian vibe <laughs> and on the other hand, Mirage and I are fucking like rabbits because we're just madly infatuated and also in love. Um, and the honeymoon period of our relationship was just, it was a bliss. It was like, oh my gosh, I, I just, I love, love you so much. And I want to spend all of my time with you. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that was crazy to think that we were involved in that environment. 
Um, let's see. Where can I take it from here? There's there's more detail I can give, but I think if I fast forward, it'll, you'll, we can start sort of moving along with the story here. So we're involved with that church. For, uh, we get married. We're involved with that church for quite some time. And just like in the previous church, we become very close with a lot of key people, specifically some of the key pastors. Um, and this was, this church was significantly larger than the one that we were previously attending during our time in undergrad. They had multiple campuses. They, I mean, this was, this was kind of like a, a huge step for us. And with our backgrounds being heavily involved, um, oh, I, I forgot to mention, Mirage was also part of the production team. I think we mentioned that in episode one and episode seven uh, because of the <laughs> because of the porn stuff. Um, but we, we both had very sort of technical skill sets that we utilized in our uh, respective teams. Um, So we became very heavily involved with this this church, made some very good friends along the way. Um, and again, just had this image of, well, you guys are you guys are doing pretty good because you're married, you're you know, you just are are solid Christians, you're solid examples of what it means to love God and love others. Um, and at this point, most of the guilt that we had felt, was somewhat gone because I don't know why this is too Mirage nice to this day. We still talk about this. Why is it that in the church environment and in, in the Christian context that everything just goes away when you're married, as far as any, um, temptation, any temptation that if you are partnered and you, you're not married yet, that everything is completely okay. Like once you are married, you do whatever you want. But until then, you can't talk about sex. You can't look up sex. You can't read about sex. You can't do anything with your partner. Not even by yourself. We talked about this in episode seven. Um, where you, you, can't, you can't masturbate. You can't watch porn. You can't be lustful. You can't... Uh, you can't do any of this up until you're married. And then you can only do those things with your partner. And that's it. And like everything at that point, it's like you do what you want to do. There was this additional accountability that you had to have. And I, that, that's what I wanted to go into earlier. Because our positions in each of our teams were so publicly facing, I'll, I'll use that term, because a lot of uh, the congregation would be seeing us in our roles, whether it be up on stage, leading worship, or in the booth, in the production booth, just, you know, making sure that the experience of being in this audience would be as close to what we humans think is a worshipful experience as possible. Um, because these teams are so connected, um, you kind of have to disclose a lot more than you're comfortable with. 
And I don't know why that is. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more. Like, if I had an issue with Mirage, it's my job as a husband to address that issue. However, if I had like a taboo issue with Mirage, like, oh, yeah, I've, I'm not, not, not cheating. Cheating is a little much. Let's go back to the porn thing. I've been struggling with porn uh, while we're married. Who do I go to for, for help? Well, obviously you, you know, you get some sort of professional help if you think it's an addiction because you're told it it's an addiction. And because you are a worship leader, uh, you're going to be like on suspension. <laughs> you can't actually, you can't actually be up on stage because you have an issue with porn. <laughs> and, and then you're seen as this, like, uh, I, no, I, I digress. Um, but do you get what I'm saying? Like it, there's this thing of you have, you have to be more you have to disclose more than you're comfortable with. And that's expected. At least it was in the church environments that we were involved with. Again, I, I don't want to generalize this with every uh, Christian church environment, but at least the, the environments that we were a part of, we were a part of a, for the most part of our uh, career, geez, for the most part of our Christian journey, we weren't we were non-denominational Christians, and the last church that we were part of was a, an evangelical Christian church. Um, so those environments had a lot of what's called accountability, where you have these people that you have to bond with. Me, as a man, I can only bond with the other men on my team. I can only bond with other men as far as friendships go. Um, and just have time to be accountable to one another, another. Mirage can only speak with uh, other women. She can only be accountable with other women. And that's it. Because <laughs> in the church environment, God help you if you are seen alone with, uh, let, even if you're married, even if both parties, a married man and a married woman who are now married to each other, who are in different marriages, are seen alone in some setting, even at church. It's like, yeah, you two shouldn't be together. Make sure that the door is wide ass open and you have a, uh, a chaperone with you as well. <laughs> to make sure that you two having this conversation about a very specific thing that you're working on isn't going to lead you to being on top of each other, <laughs> which is so, oh my gosh. Oh man, what a time. And so, yeah, you, you always have to have this like public look with, you, you have your own personal life, but you have to disclose a lot of that personal life with the ministry that you're with and that that just that just sucked that just sucked um and so i talked about early on about this double life that you you always have to keep going back and forth with 
most of that was gone because we had gotten married, which was great. Okay, now no one's really questioning, hey, are you guys having sex? Well, fuck yeah, we are. We're married now. Are you only having sex with each other? Nah, for now. At the time, that's that was our only goal. So, you know, we, we made it. We weren't even doing any of this to begin with. Um, so most of that was gone. Not completely, but most of it was. And Mirage had mentioned this early on in some of the previous episodes when we came out. Um, Mirage is bisexual. And so she had to, to an extent, hide that part of her being involved in these church teams and being involved in these church environments. She mentioned it earlier that, well, what's the point of being bisexual? You're married to a man. Like who you're married to a man, who cares? Or you just don't address it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm bisexual. And then no one really talks to you about it just because you're, in a committed monogamous relationship with a man or, or at all, really. Like, let's just say she was single and she was bisexual. Like no one really would have discussed that with her other than, oh, okay, well, the real attraction is to, you know, the heterosexual part of that bisexuality. The sinful part <laughs> is the homosexual part of that. So let's just, you know, let's just not talk about that because it's, it's irrelevant. Another Christianese term that we heard often was like love. What was it? Hate the sin, not the sinner. That's what it was. <laughs> Where if you know someone that is struggling or you just hear about someone struggling with, let's just say homosexuality as an example, the sin is the homosexual part the sinner is just the human so make sure you love the human and <laughs> hate the fact that they're homosexual which is still kind of shitty like it's supposed to make you feel better but it's just as shitty if not shittier than just 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 be honest just just say you can't accept whoever because your religion your god tells you that um your God tells you that, that that's what you're supposed to do. The Bible says that, it, you know, homosexuality is a sin. Anyways, again, I'm kind of going a little bit too detailed with this, but I'm noticing that even in that part of our life where we, we were very heavily involved with our, our churches, we were, we had very strong, I think, very, very close um, connection. We had a very close connection with each other and a very close connection with God at the time. I think, I mean, Mirage will, will speak more about her story in, in her episode, in her deconstruction episode, but I... This is just, this was who we were at the time. But I'm, I'm noticing now that looking back, it, it, we still had our issues. I mean, the, the, every 
healthy Christian individual has, you know, their normal doubts about what they believe and whatnot. There was, but for us, I mean, it was just a little bit more uncomfortable at times because again, this, this sort of openness that you have to have about your personal life. Um, and even if you're doing everything right, the fact that you are, you're put in this pedestal to, for other people to look at you and just make sure that, make sure you're doing the right thing. You don't want to stumble. You don't want to stumble like this famous pastor who, yeah, they're a pastor of this crazy, super mega church, only to find out that they've been having an affair for the last two years that no one knew about. Like this, jeez. Oh, it's insane. It's insane to think that there's this additional pressure that is added to your individual walk with God or your individual faith. And it's added by, by humans. It's added by humans or, or the human representation, uh, interpretation of the Bible that creates this environment. And Yeah, you 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 deal with that. We, we dealt with that for for years, and it became like a normal thing. Like you just these like unspoken rules, these un unspoken expectations of you as a Christ follower, as a Christian, in a modern church environment. These are the just things you just become used to, and like that just becomes our our lives, and that's fine. I say all of this to really define the things that we had to get used to. I want to paint a very clear picture of what it was like, even back when we were heavily involved with our faith, the environment that we had, that, that we were a part of, so that Christians and non-Christians can understand so just so just to put a little bit more light on that that's that's the reason why i bring all this up this entire time i never and i really want to clarify that i never was seeking a way out of christianity yeah like it had all these issues and um you know these environments that we were part of were toxic in their own ways but at the end of the day, I wholeheartedly believed that there was a God and I was on the right side of doing what I was supposed to do as a Christian, as a husband, as a leader, um, that I was doing everything right. And so I, I had nothing to worry about. So let's fast forward to now 11 years of me being a Christian. The deconstruction process didn't actually start happening up until my son was born. Mirage and I have gone back and forth on this because it's not something we really wanted to disclose, but with the episodes that we have planned for this series and the kinds of details that we want to include, uh, it just made sense to disclose that. Um, so yes, Mirage and I are parents. Um, 
it took the birth of my son to made me realize that something there was just some sort of disconnect happening um so we had stopped we had stopped going to church uh because you know we're about to be new parents um and we had stopped putting in our time and energy time and energy towards each of the teams that we were a part of um you know we were we're about to be we're about to embark on this brand new journey that neither of us have been a part of and so it was exciting it was nerve-wracking all of the emotions you could think of it was it was very it was very challenging time for us but it was also it was also new and exciting um so the biggest thing for me that made me look back at well what was i actually believing was I think amplified when I had removed myself from this environment and at the time it was going to church we had we'd stopped going to church probably for I think several weeks so that we can you know get our bearings get uh, get a feel for what it was like to be new parents um, try to really make it through the newborn phase um, but at some point we had stopped going, we had stopped going to church and then we came back, we came back. I don't remember exactly how long it was from the time that we had stopped to the time we went back. Um, and that was nice because it was, you know, here it was nice to, all right, well, at the time we were very heavily involved uh, with our faith. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to raise up our son in this environment because that's what you're supposed to do as a, as a Christian. And, um, that came with a lot of interruptions. Things weren't as, um, easy, uh, when it's just you and your partner. Now you have this brand new baby to take care of. So let's take a, let's, let's pause here. Cause I, I, I want to highlight something. This was also the first time that, or one of the few times that Mirage and I were going to church as just attendees, as just churchgoers. Um, like we've, we've visited several churches here and there, you know, whether it's like we're visiting family at a whatever, uh, event and we we just go attend but this was the first time that we were just attending um without doing anything like i said we were both heavily involved with the teams that we were a part of so here we were just going to church like the majority of other people do and that felt weird it felt weird because it's it's we're, we're outside of our elements. Um, and on top of that, we're taking care of this newborn, newborn child. One of the first few things I started noticing once we started going back to church was how recycled the sermon started getting. And I don't know how I didn't notice this 
even 10 years into it. But it took 11 years for me to be like, this is just the same shit over and over and over again. Like, how many times through the Bible can you go and try to find a new story or a new lesson or a new application, like a feasible, tangible application for, you know, whatever it is that the church is, is having a topic on or challenges for you being a Christian. Make sure that you are tithing. Make sure that you are really uh, surrounding yourself by good, solid people, that you're not straying away from the faith, that just all of these things. I, after a certain point, it just it started feeling a little repetitive. And, I, and it, took, it took that long for me to realize that. And at first I was like, okay, maybe you're just tired. Maybe the sleep deprivation is, is taking a little toll on your noggin. So how about you just try to, try to cool it and uh, just try to move on. But then I had started just questioning certain things, specifically about the church environment that we were a part of. It wasn't necessarily about how things applied to my beliefs. It was just, uh, hey, this is interesting. Like, why is it that if I am a married man, I have to be away <laughs> from other women? Like, I can't meet with them independently for whatever. I, I remember, I remember training uh, a woman in our church. Uh, who was already a part of the worship team on some of the synth keyboard stuff that I had in my setup and having to not only leave the door wide open, but let my superior or the, the worship director of the campus know when I was going to be in the room and when I was done. I was like, what the fuck and then i mean and i'm just trying to put examples here because it's this is how my my brain was sort of figuring things out like this is this is kind of weird like it's not just it's not just you right um started noticing how people were or how the youth ministries were talking about sex or even in our i think mirage mentioned this in episode one of our podcast, how we learned that there were so many problems with these um, couples with their sex lives that they were having early on in the relationship, like they get married and then they're having sex issues. Well, of course you are. The The entire time you're taught in the church that you don't talk about sex, you, you don't even bring that up. And if you're about to get married, like... There's, there is zero room for you to explore any part of your sexuality prior to you basically, you know, committing this lifelong uh, partnership. So there's no room to have sex with each other prior to getting married. 
when you do get married, you were expected to perform like a fucking porn star and then be able to know all the ins and outs of your partner and make sure they are sexually pleased. They are supposed to know what like sex, they're supposed to know sex terminology. Like, but how do you do all that if you don't, if you don't get to explore that and like just learn prior to doing it? So we had started picking up on these behavior. I started picking up on these behaviors and these lessons. And I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. Like why, how could I have gone so long with just being wrapped, wrapped up in this environment? And it wasn't just this church. I mean, this church maybe was a little bit more uh, direct with their teachings, but this sort of, uh, this Christianese, the, these common Christian concepts, this environment, you would, you could go anywhere. You would, this was part of our previous church. This was part of the first church that I had gone to when I had first become a Christian. Uh, Mirage and I, we've, we've gone to concerts with worship teams and, uh, conferences for Christians like we've 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 done it all and that culture is there that culture is there anywhere you go um so I think I think the big part of the deconstruction process was me losing my faith in church first like it, it just it became such not an inconvenience, but it, it became this like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? And I'm happy that I had that time to just step back a little bit and really take a deep look into, well, why am I spending so much time here? Um, and maybe now, like maybe my faith was so closely tied to church as um, an entity but still, like, a, that's like your first, that's what draws people in. If someone doesn't go to church or, like, they're having a tough time. Like, for me, it was a pivotal circumstance that made me want to become a Christian. Uh, it took me going to a church to learn what church was and how things are run. And then, like, essentially fall in love with the idea of, hey, there is this magnificent being that, will be there for you throughout your entire life that was the, the the creator of everything you possibly know and is there for you. You don't have a dad? Here, you got one. You don't have a solid foundation, a family foundation? You don't need that. You've got God. And, and so for me, it, it I started almost just questioning yeah just just really questioning why i was spending so much of my time in this place that i called church and i remember mirage like really pushing for us to go i i started feeling this like and i never felt this i never felt this in my entire time being christian up until the, the, this point of like i don't really want to go 
Like, I don't really, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to go anymore, you know? And, and she would still push like, all right, it's Sunday. Let's get our son ready and let's go. And, uh, you know, we'll take care of lunch afterwards and, and all that. And it started becoming an inconvenience for me. And, and I was shocked. I was like, I've never felt like this before. Why am I feeling like this? And so that was the first step. I, I started sort of losing my my love for going to church. But the big thing that you're taught in, in Christianity is, well, church, it's not about the building. It's not about like actually going to a physical place that you call church that sets your foundation. It's the community that you have. Like it's, it's the faith that you build on your own time, how often you pray and how often you read the Bible that determines your relationship with, with, with God. So I, I kind of bounced onto that train and I was like, okay, well, I'm not having the best time at church right now. How about I kind of really just, just go back to the roots here. Let's, let's go back to putting it, trying to put in more time to growing my spirituality this way. And then that was, that was tough because I, I think for me, I've always had an issue with praying. You're taught in the Christian environment that praying is like a, it's like a direct line to God. And some people have this spiritual gift of like, you know, speed dial to God. Most people, you know, you pray because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit can advocate for your wants and needs and, um, so you pray to like verbally exclaim that to, to God and, you know, uh, have like a relationship. And the biggest issue I had with all this was, well, like, what's the point? Like, you can't, you can't hear anything. You don't, you don't, you know, you're, you're taught as a Christian. Well, look for the signs, look for the signs that, that God is giving you, that he's answering your prayers or that he's listening. I my entire time, I, I really tried to like look into, oh, okay, yes, I'm going through this tough time right now, but thank goodness that there was this flower blooming at this point in time, because that meant that God was listening. I could tell by the health of this flower that it, like, it's just some, something so ridiculous that you really had to like, or I had to really look into why, or, or my relationship with, with God was not based on like an actual conversation. I had to really rely on um, my interpretation of the friendships I was making and my interpretations of circumstances that were happening in my personal life that determined how well or unwell I was doing with my personal walk with God. So that was tough because then I remember, I remember even early on in my Christian walk that I would have friends like, yes, I, I heard the voice of God tell me that I shouldn't have done that. Or I heard the spirit move me and tell me not to go down this uh, path and uh, not to go down this road and go to this road instead. I'm like, 
how the fuck are you doing that? And I remember asking pastors and youth group leaders that, like, how do you, like, do you audibly hear something when you, you know, after you pray or when you're just silent? I remember going to camps shortly after I became a Christian. And these camps were like pretty revolutionary because you, you literally detach from like society and you go off and like you're, 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 you become friends with another sets, uh, another set of people that are in church and you set aside time to have these daily devotionals. You wake up, you have breakfast and then you go read the Bible for half an hour or an hour and just be silent and just be admire nature admire the the many workings of god uh, and it's almost it's supposed to be meditative i get that but for me i always had an issue with it because i, I like i i never i never got to experience the audible part of christianity if that's even a thing i i know i remember like i said i i, I remember hearing about my friends talking about their experiences saying, yeah, I heard like a voice in my head told me this, a voice in my, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, how did you, how, how, tell me how, because I, I really, I could definitely use that. So for, for me, praying felt like it was this just one way street. Like I'm just, I'm having an issue. I'm bawling my eyes on the car. I'm just going to talk out loud and like verbally try to process through whatever it is I'm going through. And yeah, that was just something I started questioning and it just didn't make sense. And the only way to fix this was to like, I remember one of the, the pieces of advice I got from a pastor was, well, how did you pray about it? Well, fuck yeah, I've been praying about it. That's all I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Like how to, God, just tell me, how do I open up my ears? Please tell me how I can hear you more, how I can hear you better. How can I, am I supposed to just shut things off? Like completely shut everything off and just try to listen in, listen in on your voice, listen in on what you're doing in my life. Try to be really observant. I remember asking for every fucking possible thing of just help me understand more. Help me open my eyes more to the things that you're doing, to the many glories that you've got going on. Help me appreciate you more. Like I, I remember, I remember that battle all the time. And so the first step was removing myself from church. And then I started questioning just the foundations of my faith altogether. And so, but, but that was just praying though. Like I still believed in a God. I still believed that there was this creator of the universe and he did all of these things. And, uh, as, as Jesus incarnate died for our sins. And now we believe in that and has paid for our sins so that we can eternally live with him in heaven. That was something I, I, I was like, okay, if anything, this is the core foundation of, of Christianity right here. This is what you are supposed to believe. And then everything else is just sort of layered on top of that. But this, like, nobody can take this away. And then I lost my mind. 
and and it wasn't like a one-way street this was this was a, again like a, a very drawn-out process where i again around the time my son was born i started noticing that i started feeling just off at times i you know right now i'm fine but there'd be these moments where like i felt like the switch would go off and like i would just feel just just in a funk it started it started off very light it started off very like Hey, I don't really feel too good. And it's not like a physical sick. I just, I feel like something is off. I don't know. I can't tell you what it is. Just something, I don't feel myself. Um, and so I remember going to talk therapy about that and just meeting with a, a psychotherapist on a weekly basis. And that was so helpful at the time because it was like, okay, well, you know, I've got, I've got something going on. I don't know if it's depression something something like that but i you know it, it was helpful to talk with someone and then come up with specific ways to uh improve myself with that like are you doing are you exercising are you doing things for you do you ever have time to just just be and at the time no i, I, I was a new parent i was a new dad time for myself that's unheard of um so it was it was really helpful having that, that those talk therapy sessions but i noticed that this dark feeling this like switch would get worse and worse over just the next couple months like the next six to eight months i my thoughts were just getting darker and darker to the point where i felt suicidal at one point and like i i i just felt like i didn't want to be alive anymore and that was scary for someone like me that was terrifying because that, that's so unlike me and then i remember feeling I, I was i remember one day i was just i had it up to here i wish you could see this but i had it up to here with everything i was upset about something i was stressed about xyz in my life and then that like switch came on and I was, I was feeling very depressed, very much like I don't want to be alive and almost actively considered killing myself. And then I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get some professional help here. Cause this is, again, this is just not like me. So I met with a, I was, able, I was able to get a, an appointment with a psychiatrist and I explained my behavior and I explained what I was thinking. And uh, he's like, tell me, walk me in detail. Tell me in detail what you were thinking of when you said that you wanted to kill yourself. Like, how did you want to go about doing it? And I was in the kitchen at the time. I was, I was cutting up the vegetable, I think. And I kept looking at the knife that I was cutting with and I just, not knowing anatomy at the time, just like wanted to just slip my throat or something. Um, because I felt so uneasy. I felt so, this, this weight of, well, it would just be so much easier if I wasn't around anymore. Like that, that's, that's just at the, at the very, at a bare minimum, if I could just stop 
feeling this beha- this uh, behavior, then please, like whatever I can do, even if it means not being alive, I'll take it. Um, and then he had asked, I remember he asked me, well, what, what stopped you from doing it? Why didn't, why didn't you actually go through with it? And my answer to him was, my son. I said, my son prevented me from doing that. Just the thought of him growing up without a dad, or even the initial shock of like, holy shit, I left. I mean, he wouldn't say that at the time, but, you know, here here you are, and then here you're not. Or even the initial, like, graphic of, you know, Mirage comes home with our son and holy, like, uh, you know, I'm there just bleeding out <laughs> or, or dead. And the initial trauma of having to call 911. And, and so, like, the reality of it kicked in when, when I said that. And I remember bawling at the time, just crying my eyes out because it was so painful to tell him why... I was having thoughts of killing myself and at the same time why I didn't go through it because I felt this connection to my son that I didn't I didn't want him to grow up without a dad I did not want him to go through remotely go through any pain that I had gone through early on in my in my uh, teenage years without a without a fatherly figure and uh, that's when he diagnosed me with um, stress-induced major depressive disorder. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've never, I don't know, I just, I never thought of myself to be someone with depression or depressive disorder. So going through that was, getting that official diagnosis was was really healing in a lot of ways because it's like, okay, well now I have something like... This thing, I don't know what it's called, but I know what it makes me feel like. Now I have something I can, I can do with it. I can tackle it in some sort of way. And I, I, I remember asking him at the time, is there any way that we can really tackle this, like medicinally intervene this so that I can just feel so, uh, not normal again, but just I, so that I don't have these crazy mood swings of going from completely fine to completely dark. And uh, he prescribed me a very low dose antidepressant that I started taking. And I mentioned earlier, like I lost my mind. Me wanting to kill myself wasn't me losing my mind. It was me onboarding this medication that made me feel like I was losing my mind. I remember the first few days of this medication. I remember the first day it hit. I remember it was, I was supposed to take it once daily in the morning with food. So I, I did that on, my, on the very first day. I was terrified because I, again, just thinking about something that was going to mess with my mind in order to make me feel better. At the time, not knowing like the biology behind how it works it just freaked me out a little bit, but 
I, I wanted to feel better so badly that I was like, I, I need to do this. If not for me, then for my son. If not for my son, then for my family, for Mirage. And just so that I, I can get back to normal. I can be myself again. And so I, I took the medication. The rest of the day was fine. And then, like, I felt this crazy... I felt like my eyes were dilating. It was just around dinner time, so it took almost all day for it to finally sort of for me to feel something. I feel like my eyes were dilating, and I remember Mirage walking me to our bedroom because I was just I felt super dizzy. I felt super like there was this like crazy like foggy feeling that started settling in, and. That was, that was crazy to feel like I, I wish I could describe in more detail what that felt like, but it was, it wasn't great. And I don't, I don't want anyone to feel that. It just felt like, okay, this is, this is, this is really, this is different than you feeling lightheaded. This is like something is actively going on here. And then the next couple of days was the probably the, the roughest part, the roughest part of this whole medication period. The onboarding period sucked for me. I started feeling, you know, getting a lot of hot flashes, uh, a lot of anxiety that crept in here and there. Um, but the biggest thing that for me was I felt like I was losing I felt like this numbing feeling almost like this, like I'm, I don't feel depressed anymore. That's good. But I also don't feel happy or sad or, or mad. I, I don't feel anything. I felt nothing. And I remember thinking like, I want to feel something like I, I need to feel something. Because I felt so apathetic about everything. I felt so uh, just like I didn't care. And not in the way like I did when I didn't want to feel alive anymore. But I just, there was no, there was nothing. I couldn't feel anything. And that was probably, that, that, that was a really tough, a tough time for me. I remember reaching out to my psychiatrist and asking, like, is this normal? Because I I think I'd rather go back to just feeling depressed than, than this. And he was advising, just just try to get through the onboarding period. This is probably the worst part of it. It's just your body's just getting used to this. And you're having these side effects. It, it just just try to make it through this period. And so I did. I I, I try to stick it out until Day seven, I think the seventh day I started this medication was finally when I was like, I remember waking up super happy, like, <laughs> like this weird transformation that happened. Even Mirage was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen you like this. Or like, or it's been a while since I've seen you like this. Um, and then, then I was, th at that point in time, I was like, okay, I think, I think this, I've, I've made it through. Um. 
I'll actually stop there. I'll, I, I didn't think it was going to be two parts, but it turned out to be a lot longer than I wanted it to. So I will pause it here um, and uh, continue the story on the next episode. Um, so as always, if you have any questions for me or Mirage, you can reach us at mirage at sextracurricular.com or james at sextracurricular.com and we'd be happy to answer your questions. Thanks for listening.